Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 179. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey Nick, how's it going? Hey John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. A couple episodes ago, we covered kind of, you know, my experience of parental leave, planning for it, going on it, coming back. I was wondering if there was an episode in what happened with you personally while I was out on parental leave, you know, any topics that came up. And so I think uh, today's episode is going to be about that, correct? Yes, indeed. I wanted to share a couple of topics this week on what I've been thinking about over the leave and, and lately. So two things. The first one is some interesting advice from executive leaders that were asked a question about career advancement. That's one. We'll talk about that. And then the second one goes back to burnout. And we've had a lot of guests on the show, but this is sort of how it just about got me. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. A little bit more personal discussion of career um, and personal burnout, and then, mm-hmm. you know, preceded by this uh, this career discussion, career advancement advice. I like that. Let's jump into it. Cool. So I had the pleasure of being present in the audience for this panel discussion of a bunch of executive leaders, like high level VPs, and I just asked one simple question to people who were across sales, products, HR, you name it, right? Had a wide variety. I just said, what's one piece of advice you would give to everyone in the audience? And so let me just share some of those results and maybe you see if if this resonates with you. So this is somebody in a very high level position in a company, right? About how a peon like me at the at the bottom level can advance career. High-level VPs giving advice to individual contributors on how to advance their careers. Yes, indeed. You don't get an opportunity like that that often, so I'm excited to listen to it. And I wanted to hear what they had to say, and I think the advice is actually quite good. First one is, excel at what you do, so be good at what you do right now, and make it known to your boss that you want to advance when you have one-on-ones. Some companies have lost people, because they wanted to advance, but no one knew, or it wasn't communicated. I mean, this is classic and awesome, you know, foundational advice, right? You have to be good at what it is that you're doing in your day-to-day job, like what your core responsibilities are. Otherwise, nobody's going to take you seriously when you say, hey, what I want to do is move forward. It's like, well, you know, you're not doing well at what you're doing right now. So, you know, know, step one is that, right? And then you have to communicate that up the chain, you know, to your immediate manager and, you know, the director and the senior director, et cetera, you know, wherever you have visibility that you want to move forward because that's not a given. Like there's people 
who want to remain exactly where it is that they are doing what they do, excelling because of personal reasons, work-life balance, you know, not wanting to take on it, you know, additional responsibility, just really enjoying what it is that they're doing right then. So you, it's not a given, you know, to a manager that somebody wants to uh, move up or advance or, you know, or change what it is that they're doing. So you, you have to tell, you know, those people. And if you're not having like a weekly one-on-one, then you need to create a situation. You need to have a meeting. You need to communicate that up. So step one, excel. Step two, communicate that you want to advance and then have some conversations about that. I, I really like that. And it's interesting that you mentioned the point you did because one of the responses was that high-level managers or managers in general can sniff out the folks who just want to talk about career all the time and knowing very well that maybe they haven't done the work to justify the progression to a higher title or a different position. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Was that a piece of it? Was that a follow-up or was that? This was a follow-up small chat after the panel was over with another leader who was not on the panel. Got it. Yeah. I mean, and that makes absolute sense that that's less aimed at the individual contributor and is more like commentary from a manager who's saying, listen, you know, you have to do step one before you're, you know, on your way to step two. It, I think it's totally legitimate to not be, you know, quite where you want to be when it comes to executing on your, your current position and still communicate up that, you know, your long-term goal is to step one, you know, do really well and then step two progress. Right. Right. Um, and, and that, that's fine. You know, as long as you're not skipping that, you know, excel at what you're doing first. And if you're always looking up and forward, then you might actually lose sight of the present moment and the doing of what you're doing now to find some enjoyment in it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. It, and it takes balance, right? Because you can't get tunneled vision on the present at the expense of planning for the future and planning for progression. And you can't spend too much time looking and planning for the future and lose track of what it is that you're doing in the present. So that balance is, is super important. Yeah. Another response was someone said that their greatest growth, the greatest growth they experienced was during times when they jumped into something new, a new position, a new area, and that we shouldn't be afraid of this. This person likes to make maybe a three to five year plan for their career and then try to decide based on that. We definitely fear change. I know that. <laughs> I mean... This is like, you know, a classic pattern, right? Something that we've talked about is like, if you're comfortable, then you're not growing. So you kind of have to move into something new and different where you're not totally comfortable in order to actually grow. Right? Yeah. Growth involves doing something that you're not good at yet. That's like the definition of growing. <laughs> well, and what dovetails nicely into that is another response that someone shared that we should remember how much we can learn during that growth period when we go and do something different, exploring a new area, an adjacent area, whatever that may be, that learning process. Yeah, I, that's so powerful. Like just that idea, it kind of dovetails into things that I've thought about, which was, and I think we've probably talked about on the podcast before, about remembering what it's like to be 
in that process of growth where you don't quite know you're not the expert, you know, you're, you're making mistakes and, and it just really helps with empathy when it comes to people who are going through that process as well. And, and, you know, that empathy can make you a powerful ally for people who are also trying to grow. Sure. Makes me think back to Stephen Murawski and the beginner mindset he spoke about keeping. Yes. We'll have to put that link in the show notes. Next one here is being self-aware, self-aware enough to know your strengths so that when opportunities open up to do something different, you can take advantage and match your strengths with whatever that position requires. My take on that is, is you can get some of that through feedback if you can't see it yourself. I think that's a really good point. And you, you know, doing that self-assessment is something that we've talked about before. There's a couple different things there, right? What is it that you are interested in doing? And sometimes that's the same as what is it that you are good at doing? Like, what are your skills? You know, it's usually not a hundred percent overlay there, but, you know, try to figure out both of those things and, and not, you know, think of them as, you know, as a 100% overlap, you know, Sometimes you're really good at doing things that you don't like to do, but you know, it's a, it's a strength and a skill and and something that you have to, you have to know about, right. Whether or not you want to spend, you know, too much time doing it and, and then be aware of like, you know, the potential for things to come up that are, you know, where it's not immediately obvious that it could be a job function. I mean, that immediately reminds me of the conversation that we just had with Stephanie Wong where she had a background in communications, she had a background in, you know, being on stage and performing and, you know, kind of fell into and, you know, discovered the idea of like, you know, developer engagement, developer advocacy, when that was, you know, certainly not on her radar when she was in college studying, you know, communications and, you know, not planning a a road into, uh, into working for a tech company as like a, you know, sales engineer, for example, right? Right. And that leads nicely into this next one, that you should not assume people know what you want or what you need. You know, we talked about earlier making it known that you want to advance, but you may have certain needs in a position, the type of work you're doing, the environment that you're in, that need to be known and factored into whatever you're pursuing and and sharing that with people who can help you get there is important yeah yeah we talked about that a little bit you know with the previous advice for you know making it known to your manager what it is that you know what you want and what your plans are for advancing but like that can be generalized right like hey i need more support hey i need help on this project hey i need this hey i need that like you know um, and even non-professionally, right? Hey, I need some more space to work on this, this personal project. Hey, I need some more space to, you know, for a sprint at work. All of those things is like, you shouldn't just assume that everybody else knows. You have to, you have to be conscious about communicating those things. Ah, that's, that's great advice. Great advice. It reminds me of a story, John. It reminds me of the vacation I my wife and I took to the Grand Canyon recently. So we went with some members of her family and you can rent a bike at the Grand Canyon and ride up to certain lookout points. And <laughs> when you first leave the bike station, it's a nice downhill coast 
to the bottom of this hill that you have to go up. And as we were going up the hill, different members of the team, right? Myself, daughter, others included, had to stop and walk. Like, the hill was just too steep. They couldn't keep pedaling, even though we changed to the right gear that makes it easier. It was just too hard, not in shape, whatever that is. It was super hot. Had to stay hydrated, had to stay full of food and energy. And eventually, we we made it to a point where we all agreed, okay, we could... We should probably just stop here so that we don't overexert ourselves. So they agreed upon plateau, if you will. And then we got to go back down that massive hill. And I bet you we got to 30 or 40 miles an hour on those bikes. And it was fantastic. And while my daughter initially hated the idea of going for a bike ride and hated going up the hill, she said her favorite part was the bike ride down that massive hill. But... It's not that different than getting the role you want. Like the uphill battle is putting in the work and the time to struggle through some some things. And then the downhill is sort of the reward for that, right? It doesn't mean that you're not going to be put right back at a different hill that you have to climb in this new role. But that's what it made me think of. Oh, man, I really love that story. And I love that analogy. Yeah, it's the putting in the work and not just ex- expecting like your entire life to be a series of downhill bike rides. <laughs> no, not mm. at all. The, you, you need like uh, some kind of ski lift. Yes. That would have been nice. Yeah. But they didn't have one for mm. whatever reason. There was no snow. I remember some trips to, uh, t- uh, to Hawaii and like one of the tourist things that you could do was get in a van and be driven to the top of a, of a mountain see the sunrise and then ride the bike down the mountain. But there was no separate like bike trails. <laughs> it was just out on the street. So, Ooh. you know, it's one, when, when things are made easy for you, like sometimes like the enjoyment is not as good of a payoff. Yeah. And there were no bike trails where we were at least on the way up the hill. Oh really? Oh yeah. So if, uh, if a bus, a shuttle bus came by, then you need to get out of the way. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. <laughs> it's still fun riding a bike down a hill oh it was amazing it's so great i just thought man one wrong move and i'm i'm dead i fall <laughs> off this bike going this fast i'm gonna get hurt really badly but yeah didn't didn't fall off nobody got hurt that's it was, great it was good yeah make sure the brakes work right <laughs> yeah speaking of something that can really hurt you that is burnout are we okay to transition to that topic absolutely yeah so i'm going to start with a different story I shared with you and listeners in our episode about book goals for 2022 that I really enjoy biographies. And I've continued the trend of reading just about exclusively biographies in 2022 so far. So I I picked up the biography of John Mellencamp. Like his music, I thought it'd be interesting, right? So he suffered from panic attacks when he was an adolescent in early 20s. And he eventually stopped drinking. He didn't do drugs, didn't really like to party. But he drank a lot of coffee, was a chain smoker, and didn't get enough sleep. So he was he was on edge. And he demanded a lot from the people that he worked with, the sound engineers, the, the band members. Interestingly enough, he had a great memory for music. He could tell a sound engineer, even though he didn't really know how to edit and mix, he'd say, hey, I want that to sound like 
the end of Ring of Fire. And he just, he could tell you the part of the song, which I thought was fantastic, and probably due to the fact that he had dyslexia, is my guess. Well, he started touring, he started getting really popular, and at one point in one of his tours, he brought the house down, and then he quit the tour. He said that, or, or he was mad at the fans, feeling like they were responsible for him being out there at the time. He said he found himself on top, but with nothing there of any interest at least nothing he was interested in. So I read this story, and though not a musician or a chain smoker, I kind of went, that could be me. Like, that that might, could be me. It hit pretty close to home. Well, what I haven't shared is how Mellencamp came back from this. He actually had been taught to paint at a young age by his mother, who said, this is a skill you can use your whole life. And so when he quit the tour... He decided he wasn't going to tour because the record executives wanted him to. He would tour when he was ready, and he became really hard to reach. He made a studio, an art studio, in his garage, and he started painting. And he'd just go out there for hours and just paint and paint and paint. No way to contact him. If somebody wanted to contact him, they'd have to come by. He got distance from the situation, from the tour, from the stress of making new albums and the music started to come back even though he wasn't trying to write songs he naturally got inspired and he started writing only the music that he wanted instead of what he thought would necessarily be popular he had something that he wanted to say but the the burnout aspect of that hit me hit me pretty hard that's a fascinating story it and it it always strikes me that there's these repeating patterns and those patterns cross industries, right? It's not just our industry. It's being driven forward, very little sleep, lots of lots of stimulants, coffee, and then losing track of the thing that got you interested in the thing in the first place. So losing the love of it, right? Yep. That happens to technology professionals as well you know you're really into the technology you really love like fiddling around and and then all of a sudden you know it's part of your job and someone's saying hey i need you to come in on the weekend hey it's 3 a.m i need you to wake up and and fix this thing hey you know we're gonna work you know 80 hour weeks for the next month to to get a project done i mean it's just you know all those things can combine you know and it's just a similar pattern all of a sudden you're like I don't I don't remember why I like doing this, but I certainly don't like doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Mellencamp was pushed to the breaking point. Not everybody is, right? They they stop it before that. Right. So I'll share another story. I went on vacation. Right? It was a few weeks before your parental leave started. We had an agreement, right? Right. Hey, if I text you or, or send you a message, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Until I'm back. Okay, cool. No problem. Got it. No worries. I'll make sure the truck keeps rolling in your absence. So I went on PTO. I felt like it was really a bad time because I had some really important projects in flight. And I didn't know if I could take a 100% disconnected vacation. I was encouraged to do that and actually did. Thank you to those who encouraged me to do it because it was it was very good. And during that time 
I listened to The Practice by Seth Godin again. He, he put some excerpts in there about this idea of morning pages. So after I read the Mellencamp biography, and I had already read The Practice by that time, these culmination of things were, were getting to me. It was a time of change because my daughter is going to go to a different school next year. So we had to do research on what was going to be the best fit. And it was also a time of transition where is this the right time to go back to in-person worship or not? And if we do go back, do we go back to the same place or look at other congregations in the area? That creates a lot of internal discussions, all those things put together. And then work being, it was just a lot of work to do and a feeling of overwhelm. And I was I was doing stuff until late into the evening. As soon as I got up, I would check my email for stuff that was coming in because I didn't want to miss anything. I wanted to stay on top of it. Even though I think I said in a previous episode that I was trying not to check my email until I sat down on my computer, well, went back into the bad habit. And so after hearing all this, I'm sitting think, sitting here thinking, I have to find a way to slow down a little bit, or I'm going to I'm going to walk away one day randomly. Right, you're going to you're going to quit the tour. I'm going to quit the tour, and I didn't want to quit the tour, especially not this one. Yeah. It's it's such an interesting thing, you know, like you mentioned like having just a bunch of outside things, you know, collide with Yeah. you know, all with each other and I think we've talked a little bit about in the past. I mean, we've had several episodes on burnout. We'll have to link to them in the show notes. But I mean, immediately the thing that jumps into my mind was episode 82, which was why vacation won't cure burnout <laughs> and how yeah. to take effective mental health days off. And, uh, you know, that harkened back to Josh Fidel in episode 78, I think the first time Josh was on and how, you know, just taking time off didn't help him. We, as workers and as members of our families and communities have to recognize, you know, what what burnout is right it's like that that ele those elevated stress hormones you know the your adrenaline the, the cortisol like what it can do to your body like it just wears you down it it suppresses your immune response so you know you can get sick a lot easier um you know that colliding with lack of sleep you know that just it's just a it can really knock you down so it's a it's a real concern um, but I'm interested in hearing the next part of the story. So I thought that I should slow down. And after hearing so many stories of burnout on the show combined with everything, maybe I'm just a late learner. I, I don't know. But I feel like if we hadn't talked to all those people, that I might not have seen this coming. Right. Because I did, I did talk to some people about this feeling of being overwhelmed and the advice I was, or the feedback I was given was that, listen, you don't always have to go straight to putting the sandpaper on the, on the material. It doesn't have to be extreme effort in all the things you do. You need to maybe fight the perfectionist a little bit more or be okay with, with a little bit less and still doing a good job, that getting to good enough, right? But also not being in overdrive like the cpu cannot be overclocked all the time or it will overheat and i think I, my temperature was getting close to overheating that analogy that's fascinating 
So calibrating the effort and the level of stress that you're going to put yourself under as a result to the job. So you, yeah. if you just go maximum effort every time, you're going to wear yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty powerful message. And if somebody's, you know, third party's pointing out to you, Hey, you know, you always go like maximum effort every time when, you know, instead of calibrating the level of effort and the level of stress that you're putting yourself under to what's appropriate for the task at hand, uh, that's, that's a gift. That's a gift for someone to, to yeah. make that observation. What was I neglecting, right? Self-care. And morning pages, let's just talk about that. Each day, mostly most people do it in the morning, but you don't have to. You write three pages by hand, not digital. Write them by hand in a notebook somewhere. The pages can be about anything you want. It doesn't matter what they're about. But what matters is that you write them. And so I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Well, I'm a hundred. I'm just about a hundred days in now, of doing this daily. And I think I've only missed. There were two days where I didn't get to write the full three pages, but I wrote something. So so far, I haven't missed a day completely. And I will tell you, John, that when you write like that, you can just let your mind spin on whatever you want. Well, that's kind of the goal, right, is mm -hmm. to do exactly that, to kind of free associate and then just keep on going, right? So this yeah. is the the Morning Pages concept from The Artist's Way by Julie Cameron, is that right? That sounds right. Julia Cameron, I believe that's correct. Julia Cameron, right. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it, but I... I remember the concept being spoken about by multiple people. Right. And specifically referenced by Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. Got it. It's meant to be honest for your eyes only. I didn't say that before. So the pages are supposed to be honest. You're not lying to yourself. You don't necessarily need to show this to anybody, but you have to get it out. And you'll see very quickly what you're thinking about and worried about right there on the page. Because you may not, like, you may not realize all the things that are swirling in your brain because they're swirling in your brain, keeping you from doing the analysis. So while it, while it's ironic that you would spend more time in a time period when you feel like you don't have enough time, there's, there's an irony there. But by spending this 30 minutes a day, it actually slowed things down. It slowed things down from the perspective of, Things aren't spinning out of control or it doesn't feel as overwhelming. You can shut the pages, put it away, and then have a bit more clarity and focus for at least part of the day. But by writing it down, you kind of put it away for a little while. Sort of a compartmentalization tactic. It sounds to me like, and, and tell me if this matches at all, that this exercise part of what it helped you to do was to kind of get things out of your head and kind of something that you always had to think about and maintain and and as a result was causing you to have this like cortisol and adrenaline response all the time and instead of having it be around all the time it was only or at least partially reduced to the time where you were thinking about it and expressing it on the page during these morning pages. And as a result, 
you could go about your day with a much reduced level of stress and as a result be more productive. It, yeah. Does that match at all? It definitely matches. Okay. 100% matches. Yeah. And it it didn't give me more time in the day. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I wasn't going a million miles an hour inside anymore, at least for a little while. Right. Now, did it help you? Is the goal to like just get it out and then never refer back to it again, or is the goal to get it out and and you know free associate like oh here's the things that I have to do and then like kind of write some of that out and help you be organized uh, and and more productive, or is it? Or is that like against the rules or something like that? So there's not a rule on that one. Mm -hmm. You know, some people say you shouldn't go back and read it. Some people say don't show it to anyone else because it's brutal honesty. Sometimes you do write something down. You know, imagine telling someone something and, and you and then getting asked, well, why do you think that is? And you realize you haven't thought about why that is. So it takes you a little while to verbalize it, but you do that on the paper and you go, Oh, well that's why I'm having this trouble or this struggle. So it, it provides some clarity and insight there. And, and yeah, it may, it may highlight that a specific task or something like that is just brutally destructive to your well being or some kind of situation that you can't get out of, need to make a change from that sort of thing. So you you could certainly mine it for analytics, is what I'm saying. It's not digital, so that's probably a little bit tough. But I mean, I suppose you could like create a, like a pipeline where you um, took pictures and then went from handwriting recognition. Into, okay, let's let's not let's not do that. Yeah, let's not that, do that. That would create more stress. <laughs> um, but I I can see, and again, maybe you can correct me if if this is not you know the correct pattern. But I can see that maybe if a couple days in a row or constantly you're one of the things that you're expressing in the morning pages is stress that you have about a specific thing or a specific process or you know once again this thing happened and that you know that's causing this other disaster and you write that down and you start realizing oh wait you know this there's a destructive pattern that's happening here and it centers around a person or a process or somebody in my life that I'm dealing with, or, you know, whatever that pattern is, like, it's when you're expressing it over and over again, then the likelihood that you recognize it as a pattern goes up. I I would say yes, but you shouldn't approach it with the intent of, I'm going to get this out of it the second day I do it, and I'm (laughs) going to see fast results. You kind of need that process over outcomes mentality from sure. episode 19 mm-hmm. where where the the results are not something that you think about they will happen it's emergent the, yeah the yeah. benefits are in doing the thing the process the routine the structure the safety that you create in knowing you're going to do this thing as part of your routine and and it could be anything you want, right? It could be a, a letter to a friend, or it could be a prayer. It could be, you could jump around like a squirrel and not even finish a thought and jump to the next one. It doesn't matter. It's completely free form. And maybe, maybe that's stressful to people, but don't, don't let it be. 
Yeah, there's this um, variation of this practice I remember hearing about called free writing, which I've done a couple times. And Mm -hmm. like the issue there is the discipline or the rule that you, you start writing and you don't stop writing, right? Where it's like, you know, here's the time that I'm going to be writing. Like, it doesn't matter if I don't have a new thought in my head. If you're stressed about not having a thought in your head to write down, then that's what you write down. And then over time, you kind of, you know, quote unquote, clear your throat and get down to the real things that, you know, you that are bouncing around in your head. And and I think that probably is a descendant of this um, morning pages practice. Very possible. It's like Ben Fold said in his biography, A Dream About Lightning Bugs, you need to turn on the water and let the brown water go so that the clear water eventually comes out of the pipe. Oh, wow. That's that's a great analogy, yeah. You're flushing out the thoughts that are that are keeping you from the good stuff. Yeah. And And he gave that in the context of getting to a good idea mm-hmm. by getting the bad ones out so that even though they're bad you should still mention them and get them out because right. it's an idea. Right. It's not that you don't have ideas. It's just, you don't have any that you think are good. Yeah, and that's separating the editing and judging process from the ideation process. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. I, f- I feel like I did combine it with trying to make more of an effort to get sleep, especially after talking to Evan Olford and how yeah. sleep is, can be a competitive differentiator for the human. Oh, yeah, yeah. And trying to make sure I get some activity, getting outside, taking a walk, getting a distance from the work. I think we could all use a little more distance from the work when, especially in periods like this, whether it's a shutdown routine that you have that's special and daily Maybe it's a physical boundary, like you don't go in this room. I, I talked to a guy not that long ago who said that at the end of his day, when he's ready to shut down, he doesn't go back in his home office. He just doesn't. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like the strong associations with work and the things that you do there. If you walk away from it, then you're kind of setting your your mental map up to say, like, you know, this is the room that I that I experience this in. And when I'm not in the room, then I don't experience it and I don't think about it. And, you know, not all of us have the luxury to have like a, you know, separate room for that, you know, unfortunately. Right. Certainly. Sometimes we have to, you know, work in the bedroom or, you know, at the kitchen table or dining table or, or whatever. Um, so that it's, it's not a luxury that all of us have, but you know, if you can create that boundary, you know, no matter what your circumstances are, you know, when I shut the laptop at the end of the day, I don't open it back up. You know, when I stop checking yeah. email at 5.30 p.m. or whatever time, I don't start checking it until the laptop opens up at, you know, 8.30 a.m. You know, that's that's definitely something that I have a problem with. Checking messages, checking email, I think it probably goes back to, uh, you know, the interruptions uh, that we talked oh, yeah. about. When we were reading uh, back in the Deep Work series, Deep Work, yeah, Cal episodes one forty one through one forty seven. By the way, part seven parts out of a intended two. Right. I think that this exercise has helped me 
pull back a little bit. And it's not that I'm not putting forth it's not that I'm not putting forth full effort at work. I think it's more like there's a little bit more of a boundary that I'm working to hold. Yeah, I think that what that triggers in my mind is this idea that if I de-stress about something, then that means I'm not working as hard at it. But those two things are completely separate, right? The amount of stress and anxiety that you have over something is not correlated to how effectively you're working at the thing, right? So you can de-stress and lower your anxiety levels and be more effective, and that's okay. The other thing right. that it triggers is, you know, um, this idea that like, you know, what you've described, adding more time to my day to do an additional task, that that's just a barrier for some people. You know, it's like, well, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not adding more things to do, right? And then to say, oh, by the way, this is, you know, written by hand in physical paper. Like that, that's another thing that people, you know, is just going to be something that people just don't want to do. Right. And your phone's not in the room, right? Or it's on do not disturb. You're yeah. Not, and you you're not checking it during this time. Right. Yeah. You're just writing and you, I think you're not supposed to stop writing. You're not supposed to do much pausing in, in consideration. It's just like thought and writing thought, right. And that's a barrier. You know, that's, that's, that's a big barrier and, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, like not everybody has to be good at things, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to practice. Not everybody has to practice. Not everybody has to do things that improve themselves. Not everybody has to advance their careers. Right. But we're here exactly. to talk about, techniques that are out there to help people do things better right absolutely now that involves effort and work and sometimes pen or pencil to paper and adding additional tasks and it's a challenge i'm not going to say that it's easy right i'm it's definitely I'm, not i'm hearing this and i'm going great now i'm taking you know additional 30 minutes to do you know to do morning pages like i had already plan to add 30 minutes of yoga to my morning but you know now like i'm starting an hour earlier every day but you know so hot yoga and hot morning pages right no not hot yoga definitely not hot yoga definitely room temperature yoga got it hot coffee mm, no no hot coffee decaf tea okay but uh but hot right like yes hot. hot yeah yeah none of that discussing iced tea that people are talking about that must be a southern thing <laughs> no that's an i effort. do like iced tea uh, uh, iced tea is delicious coffee. and it's not a southern thing sweet tea is a southern thing <laughs> there you go okay we're off the rails here we're off the rails so i want to try and i'm gonna try and bring us back on so i read another biography john mm -hmm. shocking i know yeah uh, about tom petty tom petty and the heartbreakers another guy who didn't really like to party but he actually got Deep into drugs, deep depression, but... My understanding is that he, he won't back down from some of those things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a Tom Petty but, joke. But there's this craftsmanship, craftsmanship element that I think can bring you back from burnout, but also the craftsmanship element and seeing musicians as craftsmen who write, arrange, play songs. But think about... Think about being someone who wants to break into the industry, music industry, and then gets this 
huge success with an album. It just catches on fire. Several singles hit number one. Then you get all this publicity, expectation of larger tours. You're no longer opening for people. You are the headliner. And the record companies want longer contracts. And there's this cycle of, okay, you have to write, get help producing, release the album. Somebody has to market it for you, go on tour, and then do it again. And you may have to turn another album by two years from the last release of, of the one you just released. And your tour is... 18 months long and it's just a complete grind and one of the things I remember from the book was no one teaches you how to deal with that kind of success and it hit me kind of hard because think about the musical artist that has a number one record platinum right it goes platinum but the next one doesn't even hit gold there's too much pressure. There's imposter syndrome, I think. The sophomore trying to reach this, Yeah, trying to reach the same level of success again. And I think that while we are not musicians in technology, I think continued success without, you know, trying to duplicate success sometimes causes imposter syndrome for us. Like, I want this to be perfect, or I need to be as good at X as I was at Y. How come I'm not? Well, yeah, like for musicians, like the the joke or the, the, the trope is, you know, you had your whole life to write your first album and then you have 18 months to write the second one. Yeah. And there's a, there's some kind of variation on that for technologists, like getting into, you know, the job that you wanted and then progressing. It's like you had your whole life to build up the skills to get to this point, you know, to this point. And now you have like two performance review cycles to make a progression career progression you have to deal with your own success at that particular level whatever maybe the impact is bigger or it's a bigger environment or more influence whatever that is the the with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing and anyway i just it just made me think a lot about imposter syndrome for musicians who reach that kind of success that's just crazy success and then those of us who reach a level of success that for us is amazing success and then trying to take it from there. And we don't, we don't say, okay, I'm there. Like Don Jones mentioned, we did, we often keep chasing that feeling that, Oh, I'm successful. I did something really cool. That is a fascinating, you know, pattern again, that crosses industries and, you know, we really need to, to be better about, recognizing those things it's it's unfortunate that that it gets ignored you know there's i i suppose i should also say that it's fortunate that we have a name for it and that it's talked about as much as it is talked about what's unfortunate is that people like often ignore that advice or or don't understand what it feels like or they're con they're convinced that their imposter syndrome is special you know it's no no you don't understand like i really don't belong here. <laughs> is, is this uh, one of those things that you're definitely going to be bad at when you start down imposter syndrome? <laughs> yeah. Improve, unfortunately. Or? Yeah. I mean, it probably goes along with that beginner mindset. The, you know, the embracing the idea that I don't know what's going on and that I'm, that I'm not great at things right now. If you master that ahead of time, then you know, it's a little bit more difficult to be overwhelmed by imposter syndrome. It's not impossible 
far from impossible because you know all of us can get involved uh overwhelmed by that but but man if you can early on start to embrace the idea of being a beginner of not being an expert at, at taking joy in the the learning and the early stages of of discomfort you know then then it's a lot more difficult to get overwhelmed by that feeling later on and and you know that goes back to like some of the advice that you're um the that you heard from executives is like you know the the greatest growth is you know starting something new and that's yeah. amazing if you feel uncomfortable that's probably because you're growing yes indeed and one thing i'll say here i didn't talk about doing the podcast by myself really because i don't i don't feel like that in and of itself was stressful because for me spending my time on the podcast is craftsmanship it is like therapy and so while there were some times where I just kind of wondered, am I going to have enough time to get this episode out? I wasn't willing to let it drop. And I'm still not. Yeah, that's fascinating. So it wasn't necessarily a stress source in the way that some of the other things were, but it was a time pressure thing. Yeah, a little bit. Right, right. And and sometimes all of that adds up, right? It, so it was a little bit more incremental than like a, a massive outside pressure. I can understand that, but you know sometimes it's it's the uh, it's the the million paper cuts that brings us down. So we have to be you know cognizant about those things as well. Yep, the one more thing on the list that that breaks you. You don't want that. Yeah, yeah. The feather on the stack of bricks, right? Exactly. Yep. Awesome. So um, I want to say that y you have probably written up um, some of your thoughts on each of these individual topics. Am I right about that? Because I feel like I read like a couple blog posts on these things. So I did write one about the morning pages back in May, and we can share that in the, in the links. I, I don't think I... And I mentioned burnout in that post, so mm -hmm. it was a little bit of of the topics that we discussed today, but but maybe not exactly the same. Sure, so. a little bit of crossover. Yeah, I I feel like you did write about um, burnout like a like sometime in the past year, though. That's right, I did, and I collected all the nerd journey episodes that were burnout related in that post. Oh, cool which I probably need to add to now since we're recording another one. <laughs> and and I think that Jonathan Frappier was right on. If you can see the wave coming, then you can do something about it. Right. And manage your energy and effort accordingly. And maybe I didn't know I was going to need that advice at the time, but I'd know that I needed it now. <laughs> well, you know, Hopefully that's like a strong reason why we're doing the show notes and, and recording these episodes because, you know, you just go through life, like collecting the stuff and, you know, if you're able to refer back to it, you know, within that knowledge cloud, within that tag cloud and you say, oh man, I feel like I'm, you know, experiencing this. And then you go back and, you know, read show notes and listen to snippets then, and you, you know, get what you need. Like that's kind of a, a powerful tool. That that actually reminds me something I need to like take on as an action item is probably making, you know, tags like, you know, the burnout tag a little bit more 
um, easily accessible on the nerd journey website. Um, like right now it's like, you know, nerdjourney.com slash tag slash burnout, but like, it's not obvious like how to get there. Um, unless you happen to be on an episode that already has that burnout tag. So, um, I'll go and, and make sure to surface like, you know, the, the tags, you know, maybe a link to a page with all the tags and then, you know, the top five tags or, you know, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'm sure that'd be helpful to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else before we get out of here, Nick? I don't think so. Hopefully if you're listening, that all made sense. Just a reminder that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Quarty at NetworkNerd underscore signing off. Adios. Hey, John, I am fine and dandy. We are. <laughs> All I could hear was, hey, Jim Dandy. <laughs> I saw you crack a smile and it got me. <laughs> All right, stinger done. <laughs>